Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 402 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I chat to Arnold de Bock and Nikolai Troshinsky of Nuriel about their sleight-of-hand action-adventure game, Card Shark. Yet another game I encountered at some expo. This is at WASD, which is a new expo that started and uh, kind of replaced Resd. Actually, it totally has, uh, down in London in April this year, and I met with the developers of Cardshark after playing the demo, which is quite excellent, and I thought, well, I've got to get them on the show, and they, you know, they very graciously agreed to appear. Hence this episode of The Sausage Factory. I hope you enjoy it. Now, Cardshark is an oddly named video game in that it implies that you are going to be manipulating cards and playing tricks and all sorts of things tricks in terms of getting um, cards from others and just doing combinations and things no that is not the case you're not playing poker or gin rummy or whatever you or indeed bridge no none of that no you're simply a person that's been found themselves drawn to this seedy underworld of well chances shall we say con people in the 18th century, France, no less. And they're basically going around various towns in France, cheating people of their money, gamblers, um, but relatively well-to-do people with far too much time on their hands and also far too much money, some would argue. And uh, they just sort of separate them one from the other, i.e. money and them, by um, cheating. You actually 
take the role of someone who's sort of doing things, interacting with them. Um, just like, for example, you'll pour the glass of wine of the opposing player, note the different suits they've got, and then you will um, go over to the other side of the, the table and rub the table with the cloth in certain patterns indicating to the person you're working with what kind of suit the cards the other player has and therefore giving them an advantage. Uh, that's the kind of thing you're doing. It's not really manipulating. And it's just genius. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful concept of a video game. And uh, it's very unusual. We like unusual, especially on this show. So it's great to have uh, Arnold and Nikolai on to chat about its design and development. So without further ado, let us listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Nikolai and Arnold about the design and development of Card Shark. Nikolai and Arnold. Hello. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? And we'll start with Nikolai and Arnold and we'll alternate between you two. I'm an illustrator, animator, uh, and storyteller, I would say. Nice. Yeah, okay. And I'm, um, I'm calling myself a creative director now, but I think I'm a, a game designer, and I was also the producer on Card Shark. Yeah. And what a game, everyone. Come out of, well, not nowhere, because I did hear about it a lot. The demo came out last year, caused a lot of, you know, ruffles and ripples across the internets a lot of people that i know and respect their opinion going chris you should play this it's great it's right up your street and i did and here we are and uh honored that i met in in, in wsd event uh, earlier this year in april just before pax east and uh yeah we had a good old chat about uh, uh card shop which is being demoed at the show and uh yeah here we are so how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games, Nikolai? So my start was uh, after I finished studying animation filmmaking. I studied animation filmmaking in France for two years. Uh, made a short film, uh, came back. And while I was studying, I discovered independent video games. And this was around 2010. Um, so there was very small community at the time. It was not uh, that many big popular indie games at the time. Got fascinated by it. So I started following the scene and covered a few simple tools. I didn't want to learn programming. Discovered a tool that was Multimedia Fusion. Found out it was pretty easy to use. Started making little experiments. And at one point I saw um, was online this uh, kind of game jam style thing called experimental gameplay, uh, I don't know, workshop, workshop probably, or something, um, which was just challenges. It gave you like uh, a prompt and a challenge. And, they, and one month it was um, zero button game. So it was doing something that doesn't use button presses, right? And I thought, well, that looks quite easy. Like, that's a good constraint for me. I don't have to do much. So I made a prototype which called UFO on Tape, which is a game where you're controlling a camera because, well, coming from filmmaking and, and, and animation cinema, I was like, okay, I can bind a camera to a mouse, and that's something you can do, right? And then I thought, well, what's about controlling a camera? Well, I knew 
from my experience that shooting, like recording something with a, a lot of zoom, precisely is very hard if you something that's moving. So like, oh, you could maybe, uh, the game is about focusing on a moving object that's very far away with a very zoomed in camera. And so I thought, well, the perfect thing is you're recording a UFO uh, in the sky. And so I made this little prototype in one week and uh, it made the rounds on the internet quite well, to my surprise, like first first thing I do. And a few, uh, I don't know, like a month later or so, I was contacted by a Australian studio that wanted to adapt it to iPhone. And they they bought the rights for me to adapt it to iPhone. Wow. That's a it's quite a sort of... We often hear on a show where people come from film or animation and find themselves in in video games uh, because they're drawn to the medium, the interactive element. There's there's other reasons why you're drawn to it. You can tell stories in very different ways. Stanley Parable being a great example, in my opinion. Yeah. It's like, actually, you know, try to get the player to go down a rail line and go, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to go down there. Like, where are you going? I said go left. Okay, you could be like that, are you? So it's 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 a wonderful sort of thing. And 2010 was a big year for, I mean, it stemmed from 2007, 2008, that whole three or four year period of things exploding because all of a sudden the barriers were lifted. Steam became a thing. Xbox Live, Indie Arcade became a thing. And of course, iOS was a thing. Yeah. And that just... Just poof, you know, all of a sudden you no longer needed assembly to make video games. I remember at the time I discovered Steam and there were listed like 150 indie games yes. on Steam. Yeah. And I, I looked at them all. Yeah. Like I'd look yeah. at every single one of them. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> you could do that. You could look at the yes. entire Steam library in exactly. about 20 minutes. You know, yes. it was very strange. I remember those days. My goodness. <laughs> anyway. Arnold, how did you make your start making video games? So the next thing, my, the first video game I made, um, it was actually kind of for as a designer, but I was really young. I think I was like five or six years old. Mm. And it was with my brother. Who, my brother was really into uh, uh, computers. And at the time, they were very, very basic, basic. And we were actually, he was coding in basic, actually. And he was uh, probably 10 years or 11 years old. And we were making like small uh, racing games or the frog games and things like that. And he was uh, asking me to draw like the path, for example, for the race. And that's how I did my first game. And after uh, I didn't touch uh, did any video games until I was 28 or 29. And uh, Nikolai was my neighbor in uh, Madrid. And he was living... Uh, uh, like very, very close, and I didn't knew him uh, until uh, one of my friends who came to visit me in Madrid um, told me, oh, but uh, I, I need to go to see my neighbor tonight, and the neighbor was Nikolai, and Nikolai made me discover all the world of indie games. And uh, me, I did study like fine art, and and I found it, the world of uh, video games like incredible. So the first game I did was also for um, experimental gameplay workshop, and um, there was a competition to make, uh, I don't remember the team. Uh, I think it was storytelling. Yeah, it was story, how to tell a story or something like that. And I did a game for kids uh, with a block we are called Sifteo. I don't know if you remember Sifteo. It was a console with small, three small screens uh, that you could interact with them, like connect 
to each other. Okay. And I make a game about uh, four kids, for two or three years old kids to tell stories. And it worked very well. So after the CTO companies, I signed a contract with them. It was my first uh, commercial game, um, thanks to the experimental gameplay uh, workshop. Right. I mean, it's just lovely that you're right. It's making games in basic, which is it's a bit torturous because it's very, very slow <laughs> to care to do anything. But at least you get something to put on the screen to, to get it to do something. And that was mm -hmm. that was really the big change, isn't it? You realise that, you know, it's not some mystical sort of wizardry thing. You can actually do it with some thought and perseverance, I found. Lots and lots yeah. of perseverance. and. Accepting failure, it's not really failure at all. It's like f failing forward, as they call it, it's a weird phrase, but it's. Um, so what, yeah. what's, what was terrible? There was no um, memory. You couldn't save your code. So every time you had to rewrite your code. To well, you could save it to tape, couldn't you, and stuff like that. But yeah. Ah, yeah, but the tape was in the evolved version. Yeah. In front, it was uh, the uh, MO5, and after there was MO6, and I think right. the MO5 didn't have any way to save it. So if you oh, turn off wow. the power, you were just losing everything. Wow. And after I got the T09, I think it was the name, and there was a tape, and I yeah. was like, God, it's, I can save the code, I write. So that's good. It is quite extraordinary how this, this little bit of water between UK and France, even the computers are entirely different. Like, mm -hmm. why? We had the Spectrum and the Commodore 64 and the Amstrad, and I know Spain had the Amstrad as well, big time. But France, no, you had to get different, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but now we don't have any No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's great. It's just, just the way it is, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I do know it's just an interesting history between our relative nations. Um, and I didn't vote for the thing, just to be clear. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, of course I didn't. But this next question then, it's sort of. I've, Two, first two are fairly easy, but this one's a bit nebulous. And it's called the dreaded third question because it's so difficult to answer. But I think it's very important that you do because both of you are creators. And one of the things that's common amongst the creators, I believe, should be anyway, are their influences. They have them, whether they like it or not. So I'd ask you, what do you believe are your biggest influences? So I start, right? Mm. Um Hmm. Uh, so the list is might be a bit long, actually, because I have done a lot of stuff. I started making comics, then books for children, then books for adults as illustrator, then animation short films, then video games. So for each of those, there are specific influences that happen. As you work on the medium, you discover things. But also, I tend to bring those influences into the next thing I learn. So I would say maybe the earliest influences is because uh, I was born in Russia. Uh, my father was Ukrainian. My mother is Russian. But I moved very uh, young in Spain. So my culture is, a, is mostly Spanish, but there is some elements of Russian culture. Uh, Though I didn't live there as an adult, right? But um, I still I was exposed to a lot of Eastern European animation, and particularly Russian animation, which was a massive influence for me uh, because I loved it absolutely. And uh, now looking at it back as a 
uh, animator, I understand why I loved it. It was incredible. Like right. it was something extraordinary about the kind of animation that uh, Russia and other Eastern European countries was producing is radically different to everything mm. else at the time. And it's fascinating in so many ways. And I actually still to this day, uh, like in Card Shark, like the way Card Shark is animated, it dates back to that because there are elements of that are basically uh, not just a style. I think there is a philosophy of how to approach the problem of how to make moving image uh, alive and interesting that is completely different and um, that I find underrepresented nowadays. Because yes, I think Japanese it's... and American animation have uh, um, basically swallowed all, all of the yeah. uh, world's attention. And um, still, if you go to animation film festivals, you will find that in general, Eastern European and Central European animation still displays this quality. There's still a, a community of, of people mm. and filmmakers still staying close or true or, or passing kind of the, the, the torch of the things that were de developed during that time. But it's, it's in, in broad terms worldwide, it's a minority. So it's, I think for me, again, this is an amateur looking in, but or observer. But it feels like the biggest word I can, th the most appropriate word I can think of when it comes to that kind of animation, as you're describing, is subtlety. Everything yes. is just that you, you don't realise that that movement is very small and discreet, but it's very impactful. And without it, the image is actually flat and dead and not working at all. And that. That careful balance. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Please don't think that's just it. Definitely not. But that's one of the cornerstones, I believe, of that. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That there's a lot about that. Like mm. my my opinion, and this this might be uh, this is my opinion, of course. I, I don't claim to be right on this. But no. uh, my my uh, my opinion is that anime Americans have developed animation to create the impossible, like with uh, Disney and Warner Brothers and all that. Yeah. Went into what you cannot do in real life, mm -hmm. so very exaggerated, uh, very fantasy heavy. Yeah, I think Eastern Europe and, and Russia went into the opposite, is into the mundane, mm. into the everyday little details. And yeah. I think what they discovered is that you can represent something extremely mundane, but with an immense amount of care and detail, and it becomes poetry. Because a scene that is, I don't know, like somebody sipping some tea, on real, like in a live action, is just boring. But if you animate that with all the care in the world, yeah, it becomes incredibly beautiful because mm. it's this very detailed look into a simple action, and in animation it becomes magical. So that's my impression of it, mm. and um, um, that's in Card Shark. I, for instance spent a huge amount of effort into sitting animations mm. because uh, most of the action happens sitting at the table. And so how a character sits down is extremely important. Yeah, And a lot of their character is conveyed that how they sit down at the chair. So not every single character, but most of the uh, NPCs, like most of the uh, main characters appear in the game have their unique 
way to sit down and stand yeah. up. Yeah, it's it's Commander Riker all over again from Star Trek. You know <laughs> how he gets how he sits on a chair is absurd. Um, what about you, Arnold? What what do you think are your biggest influences as a creator? Because uh, a certain yeah, this, form, yeah. this is an interesting um, question. I, I, I'm born in a working class uh, uh, like family, and um, culture was not accessible. And no. the only culture I have access to was uh, um, what they were calling low culture. So mm. like comic book, manga, uh, video game, but very few because they were very expensive. Mm. Um, and after uh, when I I, uh, I study, I study fine art was all the opposite. So I was trying to learn what was supposed to high art, like what is supposed to be beauty um, um, uh, or contemporary art or how to use language to um, to 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 to, uh, to 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 sell your art a little mm. bit. So I was in kind of conflict between high art and no art. And when I finished fine art, I discovered and I was I studied sculpture and um, and um, video uh, editing and video recording, like uh, how to make a, a video art. And I discovered that it was not for me. I don't want to become an artist. I don't want to make piece of art art just for one rich person and they put it in a, in a, in his big house. Uh, I, I was more tending to do something with for everyone, some more something popular. And um, and video game uh, totally clicked for me on this because you, you can talk about culture and you can uh, take the good thing of high culture, literature, poetry, uh, all this and, and share it with everyone. You don't have to be for uh, uh, elite. And no. uh, that's why I really like uh, video games because mm. it allowed me to to uh, to make uh, the, the the two kind of world I, uh, the world I come from and the world uh, I was pushed to go toward uh, connected all together. So th uh, that that's my influence. I think is to try to to share what I find beautiful uh, in uh, literature and storytelling uh, with the most people as possible. So altruism basically is your influence which is perfectly fine and a great yeah. foundation to build from well i can't mm -hmm. ask for more so so thank you for that um and thanks for answering so quickly because we've had a lot of guests in the past who've sat there just like oh god <laughs> Listen, i've got i got to think of something really profound now and it does get completely stymied and it's lovely but uh and thanks for the great answer so the next question Similarly difficult. It's this, this, this podcast like a video game. There's a mini boss in the middle that you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so this one is again, Nikolai. Um, what video game developer do you most admire and why? Wow. Okay, I never thought of this. Like, okay, it could be a person or a company. Maybe, or I, have, maybe have, I have. You can have more than one as well, so don't worry. Yeah, maybe I have in some ways. So let me think. I think when I uh, I got into in, indie games and started researching and, and learning about uh, all the different things, um, it's probably Chris Crawford has had a big impact on, on me because not necessarily because of his games, which I did find very interesting, but because of his speeches. Right. He speaks incredibly well. He's okay. super inspiring. Uh, he was very ambitious, and his ambitions were uh, super inspiring. And mm. also, he spoke a lot to artists. 
I found a few conferences where he was specifically speaking to artists and how to approach games and interactivity in a meaningful way that was not just decorative or just um, but as a language. You know, what, how, how do you make interaction matter? And um, that was super, super inspiring for me. Uh, it's, of course, it's really tragic that he went on an impossible project that he never managed to build. Mm. Uh, that is also somehow fascinating yeah. at the same time. Um, and yeah. Um, uh, let me think if there was somebody else. I mean, Tale of Tales were a great inspiration also. I, I, okay. I, I did, uh, did uh, I was in contact with them for a while and mm. they, they had a, uh, like a, a forum where we used to hang out. Right. And they were very inspiring also. Um, again, uh, not necessarily because of their games, uh, though they were super interesting as what we're trying to do. But also they had like this, this very strong attitude about what they were doing, which mm. was very encouraging, very, uh, um, very inspiring. Mm. Um, okay. Well, that's, that's, that's a good, good, uh, good representation. What about you, Arnold? Who do you point out and go, you there, you carry on what you're doing. Yeah. You're, you're very good at that. <laughs> For me, uh, Keita, Keita Takahashi. Um, yes. I think um, so. I, I, I not just to say, oh, I, I love this game uh, mm. because it's not just this. I think it's the, how we approach game is mm. always so smart and it's playful. And I think there is very few people, very few game designer who, who really think about playfulness, um, um, like a playground, like a, a space where you are here. You feel free to do whatever you like. And you, you really got this feeling of freedom when you play this game. And I find it amazing. You feel like a kid again. And um, and the, the last one I play, and, and Nikolai actually did play it like, uh, last week, is uh, one about time travel on the payday. who is super tight. Like you just use the crank to go back and forth in time. And there is pretty much nothing in the game. But it's, you got this feeling of playing... A platformer, you feel like very powerful because you're actually controlling time, but it's also a puzzle game and and it's hilarious. And just the, the SFX are so smart and precise <laughs> and and great. Like I, I what I like is every time I, I play a game I, do, I, I I feel like I'm a ten years old again. And uh, I got a lot of respect for this. Like I found it really this magical. Um yeah. Yeah, that and, uh, that device is amazing. But yeah, the, mm -hmm. it's such an extraordinary concept. You look at it on paper, like, no, don't make this. This is a very bad idea. And yet here we are, people just you know <laughs> loving what the, 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 the burgeoning creativity that's spilling into it on a weekly basis is incredible. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, anyone else you want to point at and go, you know, please. I, I think Lucas Pop. Uh, yeah. I got a lot of admiration for all the game he do and all of them. But like the last one, like I was, uh, is mind blowing. Uh, so and he's so smart. So there's always kind of humor, but it's very intellectual at the same time. He always pick up subjects that mm. nobody else will pick up. 
and it is a very very good storyteller and yeah I, I, I think yeah it would be my my second favorite okay <laughs> if i need to order them <laughs> if you were, yeah if you had to you had to rank them then that's fine yeah so last question of the first half there you go so you made it well done <laughs> and and this one i kind of have to request have to ask you because this is a podcast about video games and if i don't ask this i might get arrested so here we go Nikolai, what are you playing right now? Oh, what yeah. I'm playing right now? Uh, let me think. <laughs> what are you distracting yourself with these days? So, wait. Ah, uh, yeah, I just got XO One. Really right. cool. Right, it's a cool disc thingy flying yeah. game that's not flying because you just use momentum. I, yeah, I yeah. played this at Res three or four years ago and blown away by it and... It was great that it landed on uh, Game Pass. What a what a game! Very cool, yeah. Like yeah. it's very sensorial, right? It's mm. not, not really difficult. Not really. Oh yeah, I have I've played just a little. I just got it. Yeah. And uh, but I do like this genre of games that are like sensorial experiences that are yeah. not about. Yeah. Uh, and this one is a spec like visual audiovisual spectacle, or yeah. you just enjoy yourself. I I love it. Yeah. yeah, lovely stuff. It's uh, almost like a bit of a bloom effect going on, I think, seem to remember. Mm-hmm. And not too much, because remember in 2007, 2008, everything had bloom? Like, <laughs> that, was very, that was very funny. You know, yes. It's really funny, isn't it? Like, oh, look, we do this effect. Let's just put it everywhere. Like, please stop. No, 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 more bloom. Please, no, no. <laughs> but I understand it, because yeah. when you're a visual artist and you understand, like, you, you start to discover the limitations of what you can do. Yeah. When you give you a new tool, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This I, is amazing. There's all little things you can do. Keep doing it, you know. Uh, so, yeah. so it's, it's, I totally get it. Um, mm. What else? I, I have the feeling I played something good, but... Um, <laughs> Well, we can come back to you, Arnold, and then yeah. bounce between this and let you, because I know it's like, uh, oh, there's so many games, too many games. Is that really possible? So, me, no. me, 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 I, I never, I'm a very strange player because I, I, I like to play pretty much all the game I can. Mm. So I always jump from one game to each other. I never finish any games. Right. So most of the time, I don't spend more than half an hour on a game, except oh, wow. if it's very exceptional. Okay. Um, so, but what I, that's why I really like the play date. I'm playing a lot of the play date. I, I received it like two weeks ago, and I'm obsessed with that. Like uh, yesterday, I discovered uh, they unlock like four games at the same time, and I was, oh my god, four small games, and this is just perfect for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other game I've been playing, but this is more like for. Uh, uh, experimentation is don't like football at all. Um, uh, but uh, I saw there was FIFA for free on the PlayStation yeah. Uh, Plus, yeah. And I played for the first time FIFA yeah. in my life. Wow. And actually, it's very interesting from a design game design perspective how they managed to. Uh, but everything, I, I think, even if you don't like football, FIFA, I guess it's a great game. It's very very surprising. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very surprised having fun because I don't like football, but I do right. like play FIFA. Yeah, uh, but so uh, I, I don't uh, I don't think I will play it a lot more. But um, I was very interested in making all the um, tutorial, for example, mm. how to score, how to dribble, how to this. It's, it's yeah. very very well done. So yeah. I, I had a lot of fun for how they use the control and yeah, yeah it was a big surprise for me to, there, to there play are, that. There are still people out there that just buy two games a year, that mm-hmm. and Call of Duty. 
or Battlefield. That's all they got. It's a thing. It's a thing. Not me. No. Definitely not me. Uh, or indeed, most of the people listen to this show. But there are people out there who do that. It boggles the mind. You know, the closest I've come to that was experiencing just that one game over a long period. Was the last game I finished that was that long was Assassin's Creed Valhalla because they're on the show, yeah. so I thought I should finish this. 142 hours later. Oh, God. <laughs> I know that because it tells me. That's how long I played it. So, yeah, that's a like, constant. It's a, bit, it's a bit like, you know, the massive sandwich that Homer Simpson's eating constantly? Mm. It's just that. It felt like that. You know, <laughs> it's like just constantly munching away at this thing that doesn't end. So, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, FIFA. It's, it is a, quite a thing. Quite a thing, and Nicolai, but, but I, I think yeah. it's great for game designer to yes. play games they will normally never play. Yeah, and so I'm forcing to to play. That's why I really like uh, like uh, the, the game services, like because I can play a lot of random things for free. But for yeah. free, I pay the service, but yeah, uh, yeah. to play a lot of unexpected games. Yeah, yeah. Or, That's mm. what Game Pass is all about. Oh, look, no risk. Let's have a go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Nikolai, any others before we, we delve into the second half of the show? Yeah, I just remembered. I've been playing yeah. Hades now. I ah, just got it also yes. recently. I usually yeah. jump into the popular games a bit late. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, it's really well done, mm. but it was kind of what I expected, like a game where you can just play a short session, not think too much. Have yep. fun. Each Love run, you know, it's, okay. so, it's self-aware enough to know you're doing yeah. a short run. Not a massive fan of uh, this compulsive design of right. where you, uh, in term, like, kind of ideologically, let's say, no? Mm. But uh, you always have, I mean, there's always nice to have something that you can, because I, it's rare that I have time for longer games. Mm. And... Uh, so having something I either like like in certain indie games like ours, which you can play in a few hours and finish. Yeah. Or things like these, which are never ending, but you can play in short sessions. Mm-hmm. And so this was my like filler game for the nice. last last month or so. Nice. Yeah. It's a it's that kind of like you can say you can nip in and out and do two or three runs, maybe with one. Just to uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, see, but it's like I, I was impressed with the dialogue thing. Though. Yeah, so, yeah. Everybody, I, I saw early on everybody talking about that, and I didn't know what they were talking about, and now I see mm. it. Yeah, you see it's it. like, oh yeah, this is this is really well done. I don't it's, know. <laughs> yeah, it's the satire around the concept. Like, oh, you're dead again. There you go. Yeah, I did warn you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's it for the first half. Let us move on. To the second half of the show where we delve deep into Card Shark.
So, first question. Regular listeners will know isn't a question. It's more like a request, but it's framed as a question anyway. Please tell us, in your own words, either of you, good luck with this, by the way, what is Card Shark? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so Card Shark is a card cheating game, adventure game, which you travel across France in the 18th century, uh, scamming nobles and uh, other wealthy characters to rise in society. Pretty much. And you use clues in the title, everyone, card shock. So you are basically doing card tricks or doing sleight of hand or helping something someone else do that and giving yes. them information which they can exploit to win at cards, various card games across 18th century France. Yes, um, yes. So it uses like real uh, card manipulation techniques mm, and... Yeah, and yeah. All, yeah, all those pen and teller stuff where they talk about that. Exactly. <laughs> basically, basically describing all those those card tricks and stuff like you do a little fold here and there now you know it's the ace of spades like you didn't know it because or you just tuck it out and you just have one little card just slightly out no one can see it because you've got your hand over it and all that sort of stuff it's wonderful and that leads me on to my first question design question and i one of the things i've marveled about card shop when i first played it is your ability, what you did, the effort you clearly spent in replicating these card tricks in a way that is easy to follow and understand and therefore broken down into small, discrete tasks which you could then replicate as an action on the player. Can I tell, could you tell me how did you find doing that? Was that, was that really the, the linchpin of the game, really, to make sure that that could be done? So, so um, I remember the way we did that is Nikolai uh, is actually uh, uh, who, uh, who was uh, uh, really interested in card ch cheating game. That's why we started this game, right? right. And when we start the conversation, um, the problem is how are we going to interact uh, with those thing because you're not going to have the card really in your hand. So I, I asked Nikolai to make um, like a, a gif for every technique like he like he part of, of the game and uh, try to imagine and make a small animation of how the interaction would be uh, if it was with a finger like what would he do to interact with with uh, every technique and he did a lot of uh, like 50 uh, uh, small gifs okay and after the very hard work uh, was to to find how to translate that for a mouse but also for a controller um, our, what our what will be the interaction for every uh, single of the of this technique, and the, and the process was relatively uh, slow. So first, uh, Nikolai was making a, a black and white version of the asset. We were implementing that, um, and after and after it was a lot of iteration, like back and forth for every technique. So it, it, that's what took us two years to do that, like uh, to to figure out what will be interaction for every technique. And after the, uh, the great idea, I think, I don't know if it was Nicolai or, or Francois who had this idea of making them modular. So um, we got a lot of technique and we, we got the concept of strategy. The strategy is um, 
uh, one or two or three or sometimes four techniques in a different order or having a different uh, how, how to uh, sequence. I, I don't know. Yeah, yes, sequence. different sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and and um, I can find a way to make to uh, to make it fun. But what is great in, in terms of design is economical. So because we recycle, recycling is always good. Um, mm. But the, the the second thing is if one technique is tuned, um, it will be tuned in, inside the sequence uh, logically. So uh, yeah, that's why a lot of iteration. And and after Nikolai do a second part on it, we had a lot of playtests and and we got thirty eight, I think now technique. I don't remember the number, like uh, more than thirty different techniques. But each one of them, they are kind of a game in itself, and that's why it was a challenge in terms of design. Even if it's a simple game, it still needs to be good, right? Every yeah. little segment of it, and uh, that, that that was tricky, but we succeeded to do it, I think. Yeah, I think it's remarkable uh, you come up with this, and um, that's you could take you could do with this any any task. By the way, you can break it down into small discrete components and make it quite simple and straightforward. Whereas the, the end result is far from that. Um, mm-hmm. Henry Ford knew about this, <laughs> hence the uh, production line of like people just doing the one very simple job, and then creating a, a car at the end of it. It was. You know, he he didn't do a lot of good things, but that was an interesting thing he came up with. Um, there's other aspects of him, not so great, but nonetheless, that concept of discrete tasks, uh, and you've made it interesting, more interesting, entertaining, and engrossing. But there's one thing. Next question, by the way, is I want to talk about is how much stress <laughs> one experiences when trying to just. Because when you're trying to pull off a trick with an opponent, um, it's very stressful to the point where you know it's stressful. You actually have a stress gauge at the bottom where the other, where the opponent is going, to, or the person you're trying to, you know, the mark, if you will, mm. is going to catch on that you're actually trying to, you know, pull one over their eyes, kind of thing. And I just want to ask. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a visual representation of the person doing the thing how did this come about and was it always there or was it just some a way of representing the the so, the, you know, the person's stress so what i don't remember is if this idea come from uh, nicolai or not or during right. the conversation we had this idea i don't remember the origin of this but uh, i am sure the influence of this is wario wario where that's i'm certain of that um, right um, because in WarioWare, what is great is you make one task, one simple task, and you got a very limited time, and it's so fun. Because right. Why it's fun? Because yes. you are in a rush. If you do the same thing slowly, there is no interest at all. Right? No, no, it's just uh, tedious. And uh, in, in Karcha, to have this tension, and I, and I wanted like when we I did the design document because when you need to onboard the team, like you need to 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 make like the pillar of the game, like what is it? The, pillar, the most important thing in the game. And I think the most important thing I wanted in, in Card Shark is to have people when they, they play the game to sweat and to feel stress and to have the feeling they can be uh, uh, killed at any point, like by the opponent, or at least then they figure out you are cheating. And, and, and all the game was think with this in mind. Like I, I wanted the player to be stressed. So what makes me happy when I read the review is some people who don't like the game because they play too stressful. But that was the point. Is what I wanted. I want them to be stressed. 
Um, and after uh, we were more uh, towards the end of the development, we created three different difficulty modes, and we add the easy mode, uh, yeah, who, yeah. who makes the, the stress a little bit more acceptable. Yeah. Um, but for me, like the the real mode of the game is uh, the normal one, like I don't the medium one, like I yeah, don't know yeah. how we call it. I cannot play in hardcore mode. Like the the con artists are not able to do that. I will have a hard attack. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, 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 all the game was tuned for the the middle uh, right. middle uh, point. Yeah, it's, it's, and, yeah. That's why I play games at medium. I always do that because I assume mm. the designer has set the game for that difficulty. That's why I mm. always play at normal for difficulty. Typically, yeah, nine times <laughs> out of ten. Yeah, we like we knew that without that feeling of pressure, there will be no game, basically. Uh, the game relies on you being scared of getting caught and being scared of messing up. Mm. And there was a lot about also the feeling when, uh, because uh, when you're doing card tricks, which I was at the time, you know, I was learning to do card tricks and doing it for friends. That That is the feeling like we wanted to capture is when you practice a trick, and do it in front of a friend, you don't want it to screw up. And you have yeah. one chance. Yeah. Because once you screw up a trick, you cannot do it again because no. it's too obvious. Too obvious, it yeah. It doesn't work. They're distracting so, what you're doing. So, so yeah. every time you're doing a trick, it's really stressful, but it's also very exciting. Yeah. Because when it yeah. goes well, it's, it's great. That's right. It's that reward, so, that endorphin thing. of just. So yeah, it, it was it was all, all the time through the entire development, there was a lot of focus and reminding ourselves that that is very important to keep. Like how do not make it too easy to a point where it's not stressful anymore because you just lose the entire purpose of the game. And you, and you stop and playing. I am actually surprised how much people are stressed. Like, <laughs> I, I was not anticipating. No, no, no. People it find is... it so stressful. You, yeah, you just get so involved with the story and what's going on. So that's your fault, Nicola, that you've made <laughs> such a great story that you want to know and you really care about the main protagonist. You want to make sure they succeed, but they're doing so at the cost of conning someone but then again yeah. you know i have to admit it, it, it like seeing like some streamers like really panic when they screw up it gives me an immense amount of joy <laughs> because they they panic in the real way you yeah know? like yeah, the, the yeah. way you would panic yeah and and often they panic and then they they kind of make it work and that yeah. feeling of getting out of it with the bar the suspicion bar almost full uh, you know, it, it feels great. <laughs> What's really lovely is they've done it 20 times before, at least. Yeah. And then there's that one time when it really matters and it just completely fall apart. And yes. it's just like, what? human mm. brains are so weird. Anyway. And it's a little bit like a martial art, I think. Like me, I, was, I did practice a lot of, of kendo. And kendo is the same. Like during training, you train, you train, you train, you train. And you think you're good. But when you go to competition, what is very hard is, is to don't panic, to don't stress. Because yeah. if you stress, you will lose. Like, yeah. so, because yeah. Kendo is all about being precise. It's not about power. It's about no. uh, uh, reading the situation, analyzing, and, and trying to adapt very fast to the situation. Yeah. And, and that's this feeling. I think we succeed to have it in, in, in Kachak a little bit. Like, um, yeah. Breathe. That's what I say. Breathe. Exactly. Uh, try to relax. Just, just, yeah. just breathe. It's just it's okay. No one's going to die. The mm -hmm. I want to talk about something we talked about earlier, but um, the cards in Card Shark feel like they are a, a token 
as like a gesture or a mechanic or a thing that's there to actually illustrate other something else. It's like a token. They are trinkets and tokens to manipulate to an end. Really, that's what they're treated as. You know, you don't need to know the, what games they're playing. It doesn't matter whether it's gin rummy or or, or pontoon or or you know po poker or something like that. I mean, I'm not sure if these games existed in the 1800s. Forgive me, my ignorance is is a bit <laughs> ignorance. My my knowledge of uh, history of card games is is not as good as it is for chess, for example. But um, <laughs> which is thousands thousands of years old. But um, I'll just ask: Was that always the intention? Was it always to feel like you know, don't worry, the cards aren't really important. What's important is what you do with them. Was that always the basic pillar of, of Card Shark, do you think? In a way, for me, it was obvious from the beginning that the game you're playing will never matter. Yeah. yeah but this was because I, I understood the basic uh, cheating mechanics. Like, of course, when I started delving into the game, I did a lot more research, but... I already understood that as from the perspective of a cheater. At first, uh, cheaters will very rarely work alone because it's very risky. Yeah. And it's much more efficient to work in a group. Yeah. So a couple often, but sometimes even like five people could be at a, at yeah. a, at a big table uh, conspiring, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if I'm conspiring with somebody, I don't need to care what game he plays, how is it play, etc. As long as I know what he needs, yeah. And if I have the skills to create the situation he needs, that's good. We're winning. So you never, as from the perspective, from the perspective of a cheater, you never care. So yeah. that's where, yeah, the cards are like they don't matter in, in the sense as, as as cards that have value in a fictional game, right? But they're they're this tool for manipulation. Yeah. Um, I guess later, as we were like working on the story with Francois and, and figuring out different scenarios of who do you cheat and different situations for cheaters and etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, it kind of started to merge nicely as we worked on the game. In that it feels like yeah, these these card games that people play are kind of excuse for them to interact and uh, and it creates this nice mix where the gameplay and the story actually do merge quite nicely. Mm. And uh, like it kind of culminates in the end. I don't, I won't spoil the end for no. somebody who has not uh, played the game, but the way the, the last scene works, it starts to interlace narrative and, 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 and the card mechanics even closer. Yeah. And I was really happy with that. Like that was, proposed by Francois and I really pushed him to like because we were discussing what should we do this should we not is it too hard is it getting too complicated and I kind of insisted we do it because I found that really cool that that these mechanics and narrative are really uh merging uh pr profoundly mm -hmm. uh so uh it's kind of half and half I, I believe yeah yeah agreed Agreed. I just wanted to impress it on the listener that he doesn't need to know the rules of bridge to play card shark. That would be terrible. No, um, you really don't. Now I'm going to, final question. Here we are. I oh, know. All good things mm -hmm. come to an end, but here we are. 
At least I don't think it's a good thing. Um, I want to talk about the sound and visuals. I can't not talk about the unique sound and visuals of Card Shark. And very closely aligned to the period setting, um, which is, as you said, 18th century France. And all the characters represented by... I've, ri- I've used the word mannequins. I'm not sure if it's the right phrase, but it feels like sort of shadow puppet kind of almost but not they're not shadow puppets but they have that same kind of thing but we spoke about the eastern european animations is way more accurate way to describe it but the subtle small movements nothing's too fast unless it needs to be there's some people who sit down on chairs in a dramatic way for example they pull the chair out as if they are the most important person in the room and then they sit on it as if to say this is not a chair this is a throne and that kind of thing. There's, there's the, the arrogance of even the act of sitting down and the sound, which is the next part I want to talk about. Because <clears throat> the sound of the score, was the harpsichord constantly wearing away and that wonderful... I've, I love harpsichord tunes. I think they're... Too much, it's not very grating. I think it's quite a calming sound. It can be, I find, anyway, which is juxtaposed to the stress you're delivering to the player. <laughs> <clears throat> but I can just ask... How has that evolved? How have you found? Was it a straightforward, obvious thing to go for? You could have gone for any setting. You could have gone for 1930s New York, for example. That would have worked as well. You could have done, you could have done all sorts of things. But here we are, 18th century, and that sort of like, you know, that, it's interesting how that evolved. Can you talk us through that? So I, I think the reason of the 18th century, so the way we work on, on this game, I, I think we need to talk about that, is that, uh, we started with a very, very small team, like the first year of development. It was uh, Nicolai, uh, Francois, with uh, the writer and, uh, and uh, the, the developer of Reigns. Um, and uh, there was me and uh, Ben. Uh, and we were like uh, this team during um, the first year, one year and a half, maybe. And everything was a lot of iteration. And I, I do think... Uh, if the 18th uh, century uh, we, we, we pick up this is uh, for the enlightenment and because also is a period of transition is a period of uh, but is what the enlightenment is no is uh, when people they, they want to take down the power and when they want to um to, to they realize that the self is important like they need to think about themselves and they can progress by themselves in society and is it and for Karchak, it totally fits the story because it's a story of uh, uh, this guy who, who, who is very low in society and try to progress uh, and will progress um, uh, in high society. So uh, I, I do think uh, that's one, one of the reasons. Uh, another reason could be also in terms of uh, the cards um, and uh, uh, this idea of cheating. They, it was when they were starting to understand that luck don't exist. Like uh, uh, the, the beginning of probability and statistic and all these things is one science uh, yeah. realize yeah. that there is no God don't really exist maybe <laughs> uh, maybe there is something else yes no? the enlightenment maybe. the enlightenment was at its height at that point and you're absolutely right you know the concept of probabilities but then mm-hmm. you, you know if you're not allowing for the fact that people's going to change the, the, the parameters then your probabilities mean nothing <laughs> and and this is also like the, the French philosopher for example Rousseau who totally talk about the same thing like uh, 
when you are young, it's a paradise. And when, the, when you go older, uh, you go toward the, the society who is evil and, and will corrupt you. This, this idea of corruption was very important at, at, at the time. Um, and, and I think that's why the 18th century fit. And why in France? It's because half of the team is French. Um, and that's probably why we end up in the 18th century in France. But Nicolas, yeah. if, you, if you have another answer, uh, do you remember? Oh, yeah, it also came, came naturally from the Berlinian influence. Uh, because after all, like the idea sparked from, from thinking about the car cheating scene in Berlin and and realizing that that single scene could be the concept of an entire game, mm. and um, and like the period for me aesthetically is super appealing, like uh, it's much more appealing than drawing Las Vegas casinos. Uh, but, Visually, there's yeah. just so much more you can do f uh, f uh, for me that, that with, with the dresses, the wigs, the candlelight, yes, the architecture, the, yes, very, the, the yeah. landscapes, everything. So mm. the setting is so much more appealing for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was kind of natural to propose, oh, let's make it 18th century France. And I also think France because of the revolution. Yeah. So it's it's perfect. And... It it was one of the uh, countries that had all this um, activity, you know, in terms of uh, arts and sciences and, lots and, and culture lots of, and yeah, lots so, lots of upheavals and repeated upheavals and yes, yeah. it's just very yeah. convenient for so many reasons. Uh, and yeah. also, it just happened that Francois, the writer, he loves this period. Yeah, he he knows a lot about the history of this period. So, yeah. what about what uh, you know? What about what you I don't I don't think we thought about it that much. Like no. we just looked at it, and it was like mm. this is perfect from so many points. Like yeah. we don't need need to discuss it. No. <laughs> yeah. there's, very, it. there's very few games that actually cover that period. Yeah, which is that, that actually place. lucky yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well. Card Shark was developed by Nuriel. What's the the name come from? Your the name of the developer, your name of your your, your collective. It was it was um, the nickname of uh, Francois uh, oh. when he was on internet when he was a teenager or something like that. I think, <laughs> and uh, it, it come from a, a Greek word or mixing two Greek words. I don't exactly remember, but it come from the the teenager uh, time of uh, the writer. Nice. <laughs> so that's how we are called like that. Yes, uh, and uh, so Cardshark is also published by Devolver Digital and is available on what platforms? Please tell us. Uh, on uh, Epic, uh, GOG, Steam and yes. uh, Nintendo on Switch. It's on the Switch as well. And it's on mm -hmm. Windows PC and what other? Uh, what is it running? And Mac. And on Mac, Mac. Too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought so. Uh, uh, a Steam Deck. And Steam Deck, as you know, yes, yes. yes. I haven't it's, tried it yet, but it's, it's supposed to work. It's a thing, it's a thing, it's a thing, it's a great <laughs> thing. But, uh, 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 Nicola and Arnold, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for, for sharing so much about the creation of Card Shark. And, of course, you're more than welcome to come back on the show because we've had a lot of repeat guests over the years. The current record holders, I believe, is Roll 7, 4, mm -hmm. Uh, they've been on four times, uh, or it might be Inkle. It's in one of those two. They're both mm -hmm. quite prolific. But nonetheless, we'll be here, whatever you've come up with or what you're currently coming up with. Uh, we'll be here 
waiting to, to talk to you again about it. But in the meantime, thank you very, very much. Thank, thank you. you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, com.